just about do the benediction right now. What do you reckon? <laughs> uh, uh, Tanya just mentioned that, just to reiterate, there's child mining for all the children under grade seven, or not grade seven, age seven. So just affirming that, you just go to the back of the building and they'll look, be looked after. Wonderful. So we're going to jump into the, um, the names of Jesus. And thanks, Cheryl, if you'd like to put the opening slide up today as we're looking at uh, the subject of Everlasting Father. And um, as we're just seven days away from uh, our Christmas experience, the final uh, session will be on Prince of Peace. But let's read together, shall we? Uh, the base of the picture here, let's read it all together. All together. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Beautiful names. About 93 names for Jesus in the Bible, actually. Um, sometimes I get names mixed up in my family. Can you believe that? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, I've baptised people with the wrong name. I've married people with the wrong name. I've just got a kind of gift, you know. I rename everybody, those of you who know me. I was speaking at my son Ben and uh, his beautiful uh, fiance at the time at their wedding, um, and it was a pleasure and a joy for me to uh, conduct, the, to uh, give the, the message for the, the wedding. And I thought, well, I'll just do a bit of a research and see what Ben really meant. I, I really knew it, but I just did the research, and it means son of my right hand. So Benjamin was really son of my right hand. He was just an amazing young guy who was always there, our third child. And then I went on to research about Sarah, which really means princess. I thought it's beautiful. And I thought, I wonder what Graham means. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Do you know what it means? It means gravel. <laughs> I, I thought, that is not super encouragement. But anyway, so names mean a lot. In Bible times, names really meant everything. I don't, does anybody know what you... Do you know what your name means? Have you done some research? Okay, there's a few. Strong man, I know. That's you, Andrew. Manly, is it? Thanks, Andrew. I thought it was that. My wife's name is Andrea, which is the feminine of being strong, and she is too. She can beat me in an arm wrestle. Not quite. <laughs> but uh, names can transform life as we, um, as we jump into the next slide, and I'm going to sort of do it today, actually, uh, from the front. So there is a sense of interrelationship between these four names. Um, one, I think, bumps into the other. So as we looked at the subject of Wonderful Counselor, we come to Jesus, our great counselor, when we're facing incredible challenges of, of life. And I think what Graham number one here spoke about, about how the old-fashioned way of developing films had to go into the dark room, and God often does his best in the dark room to develop. That was a great illustration, wasn't it? I really loved that story. And God comes, Jesus comes, and he helps us to unpack what the problems are in life. And he gives us revelation and understanding. So we come to him as our, as our wonderful counselor. And he doesn't charge $100 an hour, which is incredibly good. But then we need the second part, which is mighty God. So once we're confronted with all the problems and challenges of life, we come to him as our mighty God, and he intervenes, and he transforms, and he changes, and does stuff that we would not even imagine. Is that true? He's a mighty God. He's a mighty God. 
And as we go then into the third level, which is really understanding, which is the word about intimacy, which is knowing that he is the everlasting father. And next week, we're going to look at the subject of Prince of Peace. So it's all in the name. And it's very, very encouraging to know that the names of Jesus are powerful. In a sense, there's also this mystery around the Trinity, how Jesus said, I and the Father are one. That's pretty hard to, uh, to grasp in our finite minds. We know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always one, but their functions are different. And so I've written up on the screen there the ministry of the Lord Jesus, who he spoke these words, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. So there's this incredible um, interrelationship between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three functioning together. One, different, but, but have different functions. And so it's hard for us to grasp how the Trinity works. So wonderful counsellor, Jesus helped me to understand myself. Mighty God, Jesus delivering me from myself and setting me free. Everlasting Father, Jesus coming to live in us and we become his precious child. So we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning about what it means for Jesus to be our everlasting Father. In the whole history of development of relationship between Father and his creation, God is an incredible uh, relational person, loves closeness, just long for closeness. I think the whole story of Eden was a story of, of God relating to Adam and Eve in that incredible environment called paradise. And there was very, very uh, real closeness. And God chose the people of Israel to be his children. The Bible says, right in the very beginning, when Jacob left the land where he was in and went down to Egypt, there was only 70. And around about 480 years or thereabouts, those 70 grew to about 1.5 to almost 2 million people. And God had chosen this group of people called the children of Israel to become, I think heaven's calling, just answer that real quick, okay. <laughs> This is what the Lord God says, Israel is my firstborn son. So God chose this group of people to be his own. And uh, he want, wanted to be the father and he wanted them to be his children. In the New Testament it says, I'll be a father to you and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. God met with all the people at Mount Sinai and there the Ten Commandments were given, but just prior to these Ten Commandments were given to enter into this relationship of trust, God said, out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And God established that relationship with this group of people, set uh, a set of rules which are true for us today. It hasn't changed. We just need God's power to be able to live out those Ten Commandments because they keep us safe, they keep us strong, and they keep us stable. 
They are not suggestions, they're actually commands. And God asked the children of Israel or the people of God to enter into that covenant relationship at this particular mountain called Mount Sinai. They said, we will do what you tell us to do. We're going to sign up for this. This is amazing that we've been chosen to be your children. And so the people of God uh, signed up. Over a period of time, uh, the people of God decided to go their own way to take charge and not honour God as Father. Uh, they chose other gods and, and um, worshipped those other gods and so the children of Israel declined and God raised up prophets to speak to them to come back and it was this constant father-son kind of trying to draw back and moving away and drawing back. In the story of the prodigal son, which I think is very much directed to the people of God because over a period of some you know, 2,000 years plus, the people of God wandered backwards and forwards and the prophets came and warned them and said, if you don't repent and come back, you're going to suffer great, great consequences. So the story of the lost son reveals the father's heart. And as Evan read Luke chapter 15, we captured something of the heart of the father. Often the emphasis is on the son. I think the emphasis should be on the father. God reveals his heart in the way that he dealt with that young fellow. He gave the, the son freedom to choose. There was no bullying. There was no kind of um, restraint in that regard. And he just let the son go. If you want to go, you can go. We are, we've all been given free will. And then when the son went and he took the inheritance with him, you can see the bag there that he's carrying, um, he longed for his son to return. As that longing of the father for that closeness and in intimacy, and if you're away from God this morning, guess who moved? It's not God. But the posture of heaven is always with open arms and God leaning in to where you are, just like it was for the people of God called the children of Israel. When they chose other gods and moved away, God sent prophets and said, come back. If you don't come back, there's going to be some dire consequences. God always is interested in our very best. He longed for his son's return. And every day I would see the father almost sitting on the veranda looking to the hill where he saw his son disappear. There was a special day sometime later. We're not, we don't know. It's a, a long time. When the father was looking down the road and he saw his son a long way off, God is always watching. He knows where you are. It's that longing desire for closeness and intimacy. He's for you, not against you. He was filled with compassion. So he saw the son in his bedraggled state, having left us with great wealth and his big bag of money, he spent it on part, the party scene and many things and ended up in a pig pen. And whilst this young man had spent all of his worldly sort of money and so on, as he was feeding uh, the pigs in the pig pen, he came to his senses. There's a great moment, you know, and I've watched it happen uh, many times now, which is always good. But unfortunately, we've got to go down before we can go up. And so for this guy in the pig pen at the end of life, kind of nowhere else to go, he was hungry and longing to eat the pods that he was feeding the pigs. 
in that moment of desperation, he came to his senses. That's a critical point that we arrive at when we realize what is life all about? Is there something more than this? Even those who are at the top of their game with great wealth and you know, all the fame and notoriety, still bankrupt in their soul, will come to their senses and start a pursuit of finding their way to God. The father was filled with compassion. The father ran to his son. The father knew, threw his arms around his son and perpetually kissed him. It was a beautiful moment, I guess, I had just recently when I was just waiting on God where I felt God come close and give me a hug. Never had that before. And he just came close from behind. And it was, I've got you covered, Graham, was what I heard. And it just inspired me about this close relationship that we have with the Father. And he welcomed his son home, loved, accepted, and forgiven. If I were to ask you a question this morning, where are you at with God? How would you answer? Are you close? Do you feel a long way away? Has something happened in your journey with, with God that has hindered your relationship? And even right now, you feel like when you pray, uh, the heavens are like brass. I want to tell you that God is for you. He has great compassion towards you. He has to reach out and knows exactly where you are. He wants to draw near. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And as his son came home and smelling like pigs, you know, and the father greeted him and embraced him and said, oh, son, so good to have you home. I've really missed that closeness, that close relationship with you. And God the father in the story placed a robe upon this young man, which really means righteousness. It's a robe of righteousness. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's given by God. And he received that robe as a, as, a, as a gift and a blessing. And Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sin to make you right with God. And coming back to the Father is to admit our brokenness and our sinfulness. And that young man said, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've come back to be a hired servant. And the Father said, no, you are my son. And he bestowed this incredible robe upon his shoulders. Now, I don't know where your righteousness comes from. You might feel that being your righteousness comes from living a good life. You might feel that your righteousness actually comes by coming to church. You feel your righteousness might come from many other different means, but there's only one way that we can receive righteousness, and that's from God himself, that Jesus paid the price for your sin and he imputes his righteousness into you. He washes away all your wrongdoing and sin. And he places this beautiful robe on you. It says, you're my son. You're my daughter. The second thing that he gave was also a ring, which was a sign of sonship. The Bible says that we are sons of God. In the book of um, Ephesians, it talks about that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of our sonship. And God bestows that ring upon our, ring, upon our finger and we just live out of the reality of our sonship. And sometimes we have a poverty mindset 
Sometimes we think very lowly of ourselves and feel that God doesn't actually love us in that story that Tanya gave on the, on the video before. It's that God actually is for you and he loves you. But your righteousness is not in performance. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness is like filthy rags in God's sight. It's only Jesus who comes and washes away our sin and imputes that righteousness within us so we can have intimacy back with the Father. So he places the robe on us. He places the ring on our finger and says, you're my son or you're my daughter. You are very rich now. You've come back to the palace. And number three, he placed shoes upon his feet, sandals, which in many ways is an expression of freedom to go and tell the good news to share the story of, of what happened and what a joy it is to give testimony to the powerful reality of forgiveness. Loved, accepted, and forgiven. Now God is in the room. He knows exactly where you are. He's watching you. He's always got his eye on you. You say, oh, Brother Graham, I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'm unworthy. I struggle with unworthiness. I feel like I'm not performing. I feel like I'm not doing all these things. It's not about doing. It's already done. And what Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, those powerful words, dead lest die. The debt has been paid in full that Jesus died in your place. What a joy. Those open and outstretched arms. Welcoming. The sun home. The third thing that I want to talk about this morning is the invitation to become a child of God. The children of Israel were called apart to follow the Father, and they became his children. They were called the children of Israel. They often wandered away from God, and God was always waiting for them to return home. And the story of the prodigal is like that for us all. But there's this great invitation for us to become children of God. In John, John chapter 1, verses 11 at 12, the Bible says he came, he came to his own. He came to which was not his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a joy it is to be born again into his family. We're born once physically, but we're born again spiritually. We have a human father, but we have a spiritual father. The Bible goes on to say, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That moment of God coming and touching and convicting us of our wrongdoing, calling us into intimacy, allowing us to have that revelation that he actually died for us, that he paid the price for our wrongdoing on the cross. And he welcomes us, as the Bible says, to as many as received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the explicit right to become children of God. He came to his own, that's the Jewish people, uh, they rejected him. In New Testament times, they rejected Jesus. But if anyone does receive him, that's broadly anyone on the planet, those who receive and believe 
he will give them the right to become children of God. Born not of the will of man, born of the will of God. God comes. It's a remarkable moment when the Holy Spirit comes and touches us and draws us and creates that awareness that we need him. It's, it's a mysterious moment. It's a supernatural moment. And God is at work in the room right now. And the question I'd like to ask you is, have you been born again? Are you absolutely sure that you are a child of God? It's the only way that you can become a child of God is to become born again, where he becomes your father. And you accept the role of being a child or a son or a daughter. God will come. When we open our hearts and we accept him, when we receive him into our lives, then we are transformed by the power of the Spirit. And in John chapter 3, as Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. You need to repent of your sin because uh, you're born naturally, Nicodemus. But you need to be born supernaturally, Nicodemus. That which is born of flesh is flesh. It's natural. But that which is born of spirit is supernatural, Nicodemus. You don't need to understand your own naturalness, the fact that you were born naturally bad. You know, we had seven children, as you know. I've never taught my kids to be bad. They were just, just did it naturally like their father. You know how it is. We're all sinful. Nicodemus, you need to come to terms with your own sinfulness. And that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's an invitation to come. You know, God is good. Jesus said that to the rich young ruler when he talked to Jesus. Jesus said to the young man, there's only one, man, one person that's good, and that's God. God is good. And sometimes we struggle with the reality of God. Sometimes, as Tanya said in the video, our human fathers are not always the perfect model. I've been a father now for some 45 years and uh, always loved my fathering. The Bible says there are many who, who are teachers, but only few there are that are fathers. But I've loved being a dad. But honestly, I've failed many, many times. How many times have I had to ask the children to forgive me? Yes, I just got it wrong. Sometimes I was very absent at the table. I was sitting, but I wasn't there. Remember the day when Fiona was sitting to my left at the table and she was talking to me and I wasn't listening. I was looking at her, but she, she, she actually, I, was, I turned away and she grabbed my face and turned it this way. and said, Dad, listen to me. I was an absent father. I wasn't really present. Many times I just got it wrong as a father. And I used to say to my children, I need to tell you the truth. I haven't been, I have, I've let you down in this area. I often used to make promises that I, that I didn't fulfill. I had to come back and say, sorry. I guess as the fathers in the room here, you can identify with, with that and say, do you know, if I had my time over again, I would do things differently. Because sometimes the caricature that we, people have of a heavenly father is mimicked out of the human father. And they say, well, if, that, if the heavenly father is like my human father, I don't really want to know that, that father. But the biblical image of the father is so good. The everlasting father will always be respectful of your free will. 
He will never bully you. He, everlasting Father, is concerned for the total well-being and desires, and desires the very best for us. The Everlasting Father values closeness in being very present with us. Our Everlasting Father runs to us when we need to be restored. Our Everlasting Father responds with compassion and mercy as we make confession and turn from our arrogance and pride. Our Everlasting Father restores us with unconditional love, acceptance and forgiveness. How do you view your Heavenly Father? Have you been born again? Do you know God as Father? I've thrown an image up on the screen today and I wonder how you feel about your earthly father. Maybe there is an image there in your heart about your father. Maybe there's, uh, you need to forgive your dad for his imperfections. Maybe we need to let the Lord Jesus Christ come and restore the way that we think. Restore our hearts so we can respond back to God. I'm going to ask Andrew and Louise to come and sing a song about Abba Father. And I wonder as you think about this word Abba, it's an Aramaic word. It really means daddy. It's that kind of level of intimacy that you have with your everlasting father. And as Andrew and Louise from the Solomon Islands they sing this beautiful song about Abba Father. Just a moment, I'm going to pray if there's something that holds you back from knowing that closeness and that intimacy. Maybe you, like the prodigal son, feel far away from God. The Father is watching you. He knows exactly where you are. He doesn't condemn you. That is not the language of God, but the language of the devil is that he will condemn you and put you down. He will always kind of accuse you of your unworthiness. But the Heavenly Father is here this morning with his arms open wide, saying, come home, come on, come home, I love you. And those nail-pierced hands in the person of the Lord Jesus are here today. And you might feel like you've really failed. God loves you. We all fail. As human fathers, we fail. We are fragile. And maybe this morning doing business with God as fathers in the room to say, dear God, I'm sorry. I feel I failed as a father. And let's get things sorted out. And maybe over this Christmas time to write a letter to your children, maybe you are estranged with your children. Maybe it's something that you did or said in the home that perhaps affected them. Reach out and let Jesus come minister to you. Father, I thank you for your word to our hearts this morning. You know exactly where we are in relationship to you. We thank you that you are a wonderful counsellor and you're speaking to our lives about our own brokenness and about our need of advice and wisdom. We thank you that you're mighty God. You can do miracles. We thank you, Lord, that you are everlasting Father. I pray there will be a consciousness of the presence of Jesus in the room with his arms outstretched, with those nail-pierced hands welcoming us home. 
would you speak during this song? I pray, Lord, that everybody in the room will be able to say, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's a relationship. It's a close relationship. Those who are born of God are called children of God.